Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. I know I say this a lot, but this is a very good conversation. I spoke to AJ Bond about shame, about unshaming, getting uncomfortable or discomfortable, um, and about this book by the same title, and really feel like this conversation has stayed with me in the weeks and months after recording it, which I have to admit was last year. Uh, and I'm going to admit that without any shame. <laughs> but honestly, I think once we become aware of all the ways in which shame is playing a role in our lives, it's it's just so bewildering. Is that a word? I think I'm mispronouncing this. Um, but anyway, I, I just see such power and beauty in talking about this. And I I just want to help people unshame. I'm really excited that AJ is doing this work and writing about it. Um, I had no idea there's a whole center for healing shame. That's incredible. And yeah, I really hope that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I would love to hear what you think. Um, if you're part of the Creative Nature community, please let us know. Let's talk about it. And yeah, enjoy. I'm going to make a few announcements before... Um, I hit <laughs> stop on this little intro recording. Um, the first one is that in May, a free workshop on rituals for romance with self, others, and the world is coming up, and I'm really excited for that. It's always a sweet way to come together. I share a few skills. We can chat and we can practice together. I also want to say that my business community is open for enrollment. We have a few more spots. It's a really beautiful space. It's honestly my pride and joy. It's been going for um, about four years, not quite in its current form, but four years ago I started the seed of this community and I opened it twice a year. It's a year-long commitment and there's just incredible people in there and makes me happy to be in the space. We support each other a lot. There's a six-module course and then over 30, 30 live calls per year a part of it and membership is available on a sliding scale from 240 to 480 dollars and there's payment plans available as well i'm going to link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out and i will link to the sign up for the free workshops i'm offering there as well so yeah i hopefully see you in either of those spaces but for now enjoy this beautiful conversation i had Hi, everyone. I have a wonderful feeling about this conversation. As you know, I really love talking about the things that we don't often talk about. So when AJ Bond approached me, um, I was immediately like, yes, we absolutely have to talk. And I have so many questions. So amongst many other things, AJ is a shame educator. And I don't know where to start. <laughs> I think I will say more about this later, but I think I just want to kind of start this conversation by saying that nothing or few things in life have ever liberated me more than letting go of shame. And I love few things in life more than honestly and actively and openly loving the shameful parts of the people I love, because I know that's a big gift that I can give them. Mm. So. AJ, thank you so much for making time. I'm really excited to dive deeper into these subjects with you. Me too. Thank you for having me. I love <laughs> this. I'm already on board with this introduction. 
Great, great. So um, as you might know, one of the first things I really like asking guests is where they are in the world, maybe a little bit about the landscape that you're in, and then what is your creative nature? I'm currently living in Toronto in Canada, and I live in a cozy little neighborhood that's near one of the bigger parks in the city. And uh, the heating is off in my apartment right now. There's a there's an issue with the radiators. So I'm currently like bundled up in a bunch of sheets with big shoes on, um, trying to keep warm. And then in terms of my work, I, did, I started as a storyteller and actor and worked in film for many years. And then I had this like breakthrough where I discovered shame was this big issue in my life. And I had this desire to tell stories, but like true stories and kind of talk about difficult subjects that often we don't explore in public. And I just felt really drawn and I still feel really drawn to talking about and shedding light on all the things we think we can't talk about. That That's what really heals me and excites me and I find connects me with other people. And at the end of the day, there's just nothing I love more than connecting with other people. So I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, me too. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I'm sorry that you don't have heating. That's a bummer. Um, I'm <coughs> sorry, I'm really curious about how you came to an understanding of shame because I know in my own life there's been, I mean, especially as a teenager, I guess, in my early 20s, I knew, of course, what shame was. I knew that in some ways I was feeling shame, but it wasn't always something that I could really name or point to or really, you know, hold and understand and differentiate from other feelings. So I'm, yeah, I would love to hear more about how you came to really understand how shame was impacting you and how maybe it felt in your body, how it felt in your mind, how it became a not just intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it began in therapy, which is a lovely place to start any journey into shame. Uh, my therapist, you know, we had been talking about my struggles with success and meaning and like, a sense of like, what is right and wrong? So it was, it was very intellectual at first. And then my therapist was like, I think what you're really talking about here is shame. And similar to what I think you were describing, it just didn't, I was like, what? I mean, I've heard of shame, but I didn't think it was anything like this. And my therapist was like, well, you know, there's this popular definition right now that, you know, Brene Brown talks about in which guilt is thought of as the feeling of having, you know, done a bad thing. Whereas shame is thought of the feeling of being a bad thing. And there was something about that key distinction that really resonated with me. And I was like, yeah, it really is about, am I bad? Am I wrong? Am I flawed somehow? And from there, I was just sort of obsessed. Like I just read every book I could find. I listened to every talk on shame. I went to every class that I could find. I had to travel around the world to do it. And I gradually started to connect with a more embodied experience of shame. And that was a, that was a whole journey 
to to figure out okay I, I'm starting to get it intellectually but what does it feel like because it's a very painful yet elusive feeling that that I actually think our body really wants to avoid so I gradually started to kind of reverse engineer like oh I must have been feeling shame the other day when I acted so out of my value set and I would kind of think back like what triggered that and and what did it feel like and I gradually just doing thought processes like that managed to get closer and closer until I could actually name shame when I was feeling it and it was this deeply like oh such a painful almost disgusting feeling lurking in my stomach chest and often kind of shrinking my throat and burning my face and and almost making me implode and and fold over so it's been a really long journey to go from intellectual to embodied does that make sense it totally does make sense and i'm glad i'm not just uh it's not just me um taking a time taking some time with this because it's so complicated isn't it and we don't mm -hmm. have many of these conversations um i think shame literacy isn't really a thing similarly to grief literacy that we're really needing so yeah thank you for doing this work that's great um i would love to hear a little bit more how you know yeah it sounds really beautiful how you had this this moment of really knowing that is your thing and of of course we can be different things and you know life is fluid and full of surprises but it seems like you really had this aha moment and then you um began diving into the work that you're now doing with this comfortable which is such a cool word and I would love to hear more about that like what What do you see coming up for people as part of this project? Um, what do you feel excited about? Maybe the pandemic has changed this work in some way or given you a new perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey because sort of like after my therapist named it and I started studying it, there was a really crisp kind of breakthrough moment for me where I had this, it just, it just kind of clicked into place that all of the stories that shame had been telling me about how famous and successful and popular I needed to be to be a worthy human, like all of those stories just suddenly, I could see that they weren't really true. And I could see that they weren't really even me. It was like, it's not that I believe that. It's kind of almost implanted in my head from culture and from childhood experiences and shame is wrapped up in it, using it to try to keep me as socially safe as it thinks I need to be. And so that breakthrough moment was so kind of empowering that I was just like, I have to share this with as many people as I can. Like maybe other people need this message. And Since then, it has also been a journey of thinking, okay, I need to be like an expert. I need to know everything there is to know about shame. And, and shame kind of crept in and made me think you have to be the best shame educator there is. And I've gradually come to realize that what really feels like my calling, at least at this point in my journey, is more about being someone who can take the risk of just being really honest about my shame 
and the patterns and defense mechanisms related to it. Because not only is that healing for me, but it models this, this healing power of honesty and vulnerability around shame for others. And it, it inspires people to say, oh, so you can, you can talk about that stuff? I guess I can too. So I just really try in the moment to find like, is there anything that I'm hiding that I'm, that I'm feeling a bit vulnerable about? And if it feels safe, that's the material that I want to explore and share. And, you know, I've, I've also done a certification program at the Center for Healing Shame. So I have a lot of shame knowledge to, to back this up. But at the heart of it, that is, I think, the most important step is just noticing our shame, accepting it, feeling it, and talking about it. And when we do that, it just feels so much less real. It's just so much, it's kind of like once I say it, it's out and it it tends to pass. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, it's definitely better out than in. And I think there's such power in sometimes just saying things out loud. <clears throat> there were a few things that really spoke to me in what you said. I also notice in myself this like reaching towards uh, being socially safe, which is such an illusion. And Mm-hmm. And in a way is also limiting in intimacy and honesty and all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. um, I wonder, so this is not where my question is going. Like that's, I just wanted to clarify that. But I also hear this other part of being socially safe where I'm wondering what are your ideas or tips for, let's say, helping friendship groups to create spaces in which naming shame or being more honest around these things becomes a, a more socially safe a path to take so to give you an example I noticed like obviously the pandemic has been super isolating for so many of us and still even after you know we're recording this in early November 2021 really deep in the shit at this point it's been a while we yeah. had so much time to learn and a bit of time to process even though we're we're still in it but I still find that people feel a lot of shame around naming that they're lonely and mm. and that includes me too. Like I'm definitely lonely sometimes. And I often hesitate saying that, especially in one-on-one conversations, because firstly, it's just, there's a stigma and I, there's a part of me that feels shameful in saying that out loud. And then also I, I'm worried that the other person will be so uncomfortable with me mm-hmm. being honest with that, that they will kind of leap towards trying to fix it and maybe invade my space, even if just digitally, you know, by like sending me silly check-in messages every day or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously sometimes that's super loving and well-meaning and, and wanted as well. So I'm not saying people should message me, but I think you're, you're probably getting what I mean. Yeah. Do you have any tips, ideas for like cultivating a culture of, um, of vulnerability and unshaming in friendship circles? Yeah, yeah, I resonate so hard with everything you just said and I totally know that feeling of oh, if I say this this person's going to get all worried and they're going to try to like help me more than I really need and uh it it brings up a lot of like shame for me and then like just worry for can they handle it. I I get that. And there's a, there's a few things that come to mind as potential strategies that can help one really powerful way to look at shame 
has been uh, parts work, which is, and there's, you know, there's various versions of parts work, like internal family systems and focusing, and there's others. But the main idea is just that our psyche is not one unified thing. It's a collection of parts that each have their own sort of different agenda. And they're all kind of pulling and pushing and working together. And the self is actually something kind of that encompasses all of them and can see them all if it's looking. And that's been a really powerful lens to look at shame. You know, I talked earlier about how all of the messages of shame in this in this breakthrough moment kind of became not me. That's a perfect example of, of moving them into a part and seeing that my shame, it's not even me. It's this part with its own agenda. So that's kind of the theory. But in terms of talking about shame and other uncomfortable things, it can be, it can create a sense of safety in the group if I lean into parts language. So it it just it just sort of cushions the impact if I say something like, you know, part of me has definitely been struggling with loneliness lately, as opposed to I have been struggling with loneliness lately. It's a subtle shift. But by saying part of me, it kind of communicates to everyone, this isn't the full me. This isn't, this isn't sapping all of my strength and self-awareness. And it's a part that I'm kind of holding and talking about confidently. So it just creates an implicit sense of, I got it. You know, like I got me. And what I'm really here to talk about is, you know, these different parts and, and what they mean. And I just find that when I talk about shame or other difficult topics, especially if I'm facilitating a group and I'm kind of taking on the safety of the group, it really helps to use this part language to communicate to people that there is also a part of me that is feeling safe and in control. And that's just like one strategy that you can start to use when talking to people to show like, I've got my sovereignty and I've got control of these different parts, but they're still uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Like immediately as I heard you say that in me, it feels so much easier to say there's a part of me that feels lonely right now or there's a part of me that's really hurting and there's a part of me that still isn't over this thing and so forth. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would love to. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to add that it also it's I think it's it's more accurate and it also adds room for complexity. You you might say that, you know, there's part of me that's feeling lonely and there's another part of me that is a little bit worried to mention it because I, I don't want to freak you out, you know? So there's space within the parts language to kind of name all of the competing authenticities and really connect on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe that also creates space to figure out if there are relationships in which we we want to be held right like because i i don't yeah. want to force myself into a place where i'm always sharing vulnerabilities with the heads of of, of like i got this but also <laughs> this is also happening and i mean you know that's not in any way um conflicting what we what you were just sharing um but i feel like in doing it this way and saying there's this part of me that's having this experience i can then maybe more easily see if I want to be in some kind of power exchange with the person I'm relating to 
knowing that there are also these other parts of me. So maybe there is a part in 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 the hangout where I want to flop down a bit and be held and not be so in control all the time. But yeah, yeah, it seems like a good tool to figure out whether that is healthy and wanted for everyone involved in that yeah. moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, you could start off with, you know, part of me is feeling lonely, get a sense of how that impacts them. And then you might be like, you know, I, part of me really desires to kind of lean into that loneliness and kind of blend with it and feel it and maybe experience some support, like just some 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 help. Are you open to giving that? And that just sort of allows you to see that you're you're going to lean into this part and feel its vulnerability and maybe even its its desire to be a little bit weak or a little bit vulnerable and held and still know that cognitively there's a bigger you if you ever need to go back to it so you can do both i guess yeah absolutely and i think there's also this like counterpart in me that really loves feeling needed so equally I also like to say sometimes to people you know I I hear or I see that you have this difficult experience I would love to experience myself in a supporting role right now because that's feeling comfortable you know I I just I just like feeling needed sometimes Mm -hmm. do you want to come to my house and just be um you know be nurtured let me cook for you let me set the lighting and, um, you know, make sure there's your favorite scent and that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and that models, I think, the other side of this coin in that you're, you're asking, is that what this person's looking for? Like, it can be very powerful sometimes to say, you know, like, are you, are you looking for some really strong help or advice? Are you just, are you just looking for empathy or validation or are you just looking to vent? Because that can sort of allow the person to say what they're really needing. And that also creates more of a culture where people feel comfortable being vulnerable and honest because they know that they're not they're going to be heard and respected in what they need rather than receiving that default of perhaps someone invading their boundaries a little bit as you talked about before by trying to be helpful in a way that they weren't really desiring so it's sort of like we can we can model both sides of this exchange to help create a culture that has more boundaries yes totally um this is a bit of a segue but if you're up for that i would love to talk a bit more about how shame is utilized as a tool for oppression and how we can work with that and how we can recognize that. I'm thinking, for example, of of my, well, I will say something very specific. Um, in my mid to late 20s, I really was, I, I was in a situation um, in a friendship circle where I really, really let a friend down who is a person of color. And looking back with more time and distance to the situation, I can see how when the conflict kicked off, I was really kind of allowing myself to be feeling so shameful that I didn't stay present mm-hmm. and I didn't really see or hear what was actually needed or asked of me in that situation. And I think in a way I, I kind of added hurt or like a sense of abandonment to a situation that was already difficult to my friend. And yeah. I really walked away from that feeling like, wow, like I think had I been 
kind of more conscious of my shame or had I done more work around this, I could have been so much more supportive and I don't want that to happen again. And I know many people feel that way and, and different kind of identities and power relationships. Um, of course, it is a really important thing for us to talk about as white people, but I know, yeah, lots of people probably around my disability, for example, feel awkward or shameful or that they don't know what to say or do. And so, yeah, I think that's important to think about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something like this is a really, really rich topic. And there's there's something about shame, I find, that makes us feel very defensive. It It's sort of the alarm bell that there might be social danger. And so when we go into it without without noticing it, like you described, it makes us very self-focused. It's it's a it's considered a self-conscious emotion. So it's like all of our energy suddenly turns inward. What do I need to do to be safe in this moment? And it and that can have a really chilling effect in that it it's sort of selfish in a way. We stop worrying about everyone else. We worry about our safety primarily. And we go into defensive strategies that are really kind of connected to our ancient amygdala, our, our, our old threat response system. So it's this very kind of self-focused, very defensive, very unskillful stance. And I find that when you're in that defensive space, you often also lose a sense of power dynamics because maybe you're the boss of an organization but in shame, you suddenly feel so vulnerable and defensive that you might start acting in a way that doesn't honor the power you have in the real world outside of this kind of shame spiral over the people you're interacting with. So it can just be, it can be so dangerous and blinding. And that's how it's designed. But that's why I feel like it's just so important for us in our own time to be doing the work of trying to notice, feel, and befriend shame so that when it comes up, we can know, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not in my most resourced, um, I'm not in my most skillful place, and I need to probably take a pause before any kind of big decision or reaction in order to regulate my system and come back to equilibrium. And then I can make some more skillful decisions about how do I actually want to treat the people around me or support someone or um, show up in the world. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if you have some examples of what that could look like physically or emotionally. Like how do, you know, what could I do if I take myself out of this situation where I've shifted into that space and I want to come back to myself. Um, yeah, like, you know, I, I guess we all have all the different tools, but I'm just curious, like, what, what do you like to do when that happens for you? Yeah, for me, I find it's really important to try to accept, feel, and express the body sensation of shame without getting sucked into all of the thoughts that shame is creating because the thoughts are very disempowering and kind of often illusory, but the body sensation is almost non-negotiable. It's, you know, I find that when my body is in a powerful emotion, it just wants me to feel it. 
and then it passes. And any kind of like avoidance or wrestling tends to prolong or exacerbate that emotion. So I might try to get a little bit of space. Like I might say, hey, can I just take a five minute time out here? I'm, I'm going to go for a quick washroom break or a walk. And I use that time to just heap self-compassion and self-soothing. And I focus on my body with that self-compassion and, and say things like, of course, I'm feeling shame right now. Like, yeah, you, you want to you feel some shame? We can do that. Yeah. And I might, if there's someone I trust around, talk about what it feels like. Like, yeah, it's this really burning sensation in my chest, a little bit of like a, like a, almost a ball of disgust in my stomach. Yeah. Just really trying to breathe with it and create space around it so that it feels like it understands that I'm receiving its emotional message. Or I might journal about it. And again, this is very focused on present moment body sensations because I find that that is what tells my emotion, I hear you, I respect you, I see you, I thank you, and your job is done. So that kind of just gives it the, the space to move through me. And there's almost always a moment after this like self-compassion and focus where I have kind of a clearing breath, like, <sighs> and that starts to signal, okay, this emotional reaction is starting to pass. That probably means that the blood is now returning to my logic center, my prefrontal cortex. You know, the, the amygdala is, is less in control. And that tells me that I'm ready to start re-engaging with other people and with the world in a space that's going to be more logical and compassionate. So that's my personal process. And I want to name that it's probably going to be a little different for each person. But the key thing is to consider how you can befriend, accept, notice, feel, and express the feelings without getting sucked into the vortex of shame logic. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I Love that. Yeah, that makes sense in my mind and in my body. So yeah, mm. thank you. <clears throat> you are also a creative person in different ways. You make films and you write. And I wonder what your ideas are, you know, maybe maybe begin with um how you see shame showing up in our creative practices and how you like to work with that. And um again to give an example, I really love reading novels um where I feel like the author has been in touch with their own shame or their own difficult parts because there's a sense of intimacy even in fiction even if I know this is about their lives you know there's made up characters I just still get a sense of what is important to them at this point in their life and where their values are coming from what they're thinking and that means so much to me I think that is a really powerful aspect of any kind of art so mm. I yeah I wonder what feels true on that for you at the moment. Yeah. Like, as I hear you saying that, I think again about just the power of making talking about shame, uh, life practice, because I find that the, the ability for me to notice and feel shame keeps growing. The more I commit to talking about it and my self-awareness about what it's doing and how it's operating also seems very tied 
to this this courageous commitment to to talk about shame. And there's sort of three levels that I see when it comes to talking about shame. The 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 easiest, and and I say easy in air quotes because actually it's still hard, is to start kind of theory based and talk about let's talk about this emotion in a theoretical way and and what it means and things like that. So that's always like kind of a nice place to start, like a discussion with your friends or partner or family, like, hey, have you guys ever thought about shame and and what this means and, and why we have it? And then I feel like once you've gotten comfortable with that, you can graduate into the second, slightly harder level, which is talking about your own shame. And it, this is sort of like in the past, you know, yeah, in the past, I remember feeling shame about this and I felt some shame about that. And that can be another level of self-awareness and empowerment. And this all builds up to what I think can be really insightful and fascinating and healing. And that is noticing shame coming up in the moment and being able to talk about shame, like, as we're in it, which is the the hardest level, because that's when we feel the most sort of vulnerable and uncertain. But it's also the most insightful. Oh, I'm, I think I'm in shame right now, and it's it's sort of like moving up my throat into my face, and it's it's sort of telling me these messages, and it can just be very very empowering to feel this disempowering feeling and yet be able to narrate it. And it's almost like in real time, I'm telling myself that I have some agency around it. The fact that I can see it and talk about it means I have a, I'm sort of bigger than it is rather than the alternative where it feels like it owns me and I must stay quiet. So like this as a life practice, I think will have huge dividends in healing and in interpersonal connection, but also, as you're saying, in the creative realm, it's this, you know, if you, if you journal everything I just said, you could feel that into fiction or nonfiction that just feels so true and insightful. And I think that would be a service to all of the readers of that work to see this really deep self-aware um, self-exploration that has gone into any kind of creativity. How does that land for you? Yes, I feel like a really strong sense of possibility in that. And I think there's more for me to explore in, in my own writing at the moment. Um, I love writing zines. Um, I wrote a book last year, which I really love, but that was nonfiction so it was um not any less personal actually I won't say that um mm. but it was maybe more structured and in a different way and I find that the memoir memoir like zine writing is um really asking me to look at what I feel shame around and what I want to share and how that could be really liberating um yeah mm -hmm. something that also it makes me think of is like this idea of leaking your own news I don't know why that comes to mind mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. but yeah there, there is something like really promising and just saying you know I'm go, gonna go ahead and say what I feel ashamed or unsure or 
shy about and then I can own that and it can be used against me in, in a way so mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and actually just as I answered that question now I'm noticing a little bit of shame coming up in the moment and so I feel oh I should you know put my money where my mouth is and and express like what's happening and as I was answering that question I noticed that I said something that I've been trying to gradually remove from my vocabulary and that was I don't know if you caught it I think I was pretending to be someone talking to their family and I said have you guys noticed and then it took me a little while but then it hit me like oh AJ you've been really committing to taking you guys out of your vocabulary mm -hmm. so there was like a little bit of shame that came up and it's both there's a there's a healthy side of it that's just saying hey you know, you, you have an expectation of how you want to be and you didn't quite live up to it. So this is that little bit of pain that alerts you that something's not congruous. And some people might put that more on the guilt side of the spectrum. But then there's another side that's a little bit more like, oh, perhaps the listeners are going to reject me and not like me because I said this phrase that is like, you know, we're very much out of fashion right now. So there was some shame and fear of disconnection on that side as well. And it's, it's very light, but I just really wanted to name it because as I said, now that I've named it, it helps clarify for me, like what's really important and what I want to lean into in the future. And it helps me sort of identify less with this image that people out there are upset at me and and angry at me because you know that's just who knows if that's true yes absolutely thank you so much for sharing that um i think there is really a particular kind of vulnerability in <clears throat> creating a form of media with someone else that is kind of somewhat permanent right like mm -hmm. we will publish this conversation at some point and then it's out there and there's not mm -hmm. much we can do about it and i totally relate to this feeling of like oh gosh, I wish I had phrased this differently. I just today used the phrase, oh man. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm still saying that. It's such a mm. silly gendered way of expressing disappointment, I guess. And I, I think I picked that up when I first learned English and it seemed to me like a cool 70s thing to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. And now I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure and and I can also see kind of this gradient where it can be something that I just feel some regret about but then I could also say oh why am I a person who finds it so hard to change language patterns and that becomes more personal and more about being wrong than doing something mm -hmm. wrong or wanting to change in some way so yeah mm -hmm. and that's that's a really like skillful move that we want to be thinking about is how can I interpret this in a way that has utility that I can learn and grow and make amends if need be and, and repair if need be whereas if we get too caught up in the oh there's something wrong with me where I just can't get it right it's it's there's not a lot of utility there it's a very natural reaction it's 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 sort of like a very common way for us to respond to shame so we want to have compassion for that happening but see if we can gently shift it into a space where 
we always have the potential to learn from something. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, gosh, I, I could ask you so many more things, but I feel like I have like a combination of questions that I would love to close on. And mm. so <clears throat> I'm wondering what your hope is doing the work that you're doing right now or, or generally in your life, the things that you're committed to, and then where we are as people right now at this point of time. What do you feel hopeful about? Like, what do you think becomes possible when we do more work around shame? Mm. I mean, the first thing that comes up is the potential for deeper, more robust connection. Because my ability to sit with the discomfort of my own shame is directly correlated with me being able to hear and sit with other people's different opinions and their struggles and their mistakes. It's just, if I can't handle my shame, I, I can't help but reject others who kind of have something similar. And so there's just a space of a lot more openness and healing and and i think seeing other people in a way that's more accepting that's that's what comes online and that could be very very healing across ideological divides to be able to sit in the discomfort of disagreement sit in the discomfort of someone operating outside of my value system. And I find that if we can bridge that gap and stay connected in those moments, then there's a space where we might actually come together and, and I and this person might find common ground wherein our values actually overlap more than we think. So there's something about like leaning into shame that tends to polarize and almost almost makes things worse. There's, there's, there's a power of connecting with the other that allows them to be less of an other and find a compromise that is more connective. Um, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. No, but. yeah, that's great. No, I, I, I agree. It does make me feel hopeful. It makes me think about present and past and future relationships and then also the bigger picture and scaling that in a way. Maybe scaling isn't the right word, right? But I think um, there are so many levels on which this could be really transformative and I trust mm -hmm. it will be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we covered so much ground. I would love to have you again, to be honest, next year. I yeah, like, I'd love that. Yeah. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It was <laughs> great. some really provocative questions. Yeah, I think it, the first interview is always like such a great way to get to know someone's work and kind of cover the different ideas that they're excited about and then the second interview is really lovely just to dive deeper and um and kind of uh, zoom into a few things but yeah AJ um before we go I would love to hear what you're currently offering and where people can find you and explore if they want to find out more yeah I I just published my first book and as you mentioned earlier it's called Discomfortable which is sort of a play on discomfort and comfortable and and hints at what we've been talking about this idea of 
can we find a kind of comfort within discomfort that allows us to be more self-aware and more skillful in how we engage with it and react to it. And so that just came out in September and it, it can be found at most bookstores if you, if you order it in. It's published by North Atlantic Books, so you can also go to their website and order it online. And then I also do shame coaching. And this is a space where people can safely come and talk about their shame. This, this strategy that I've been pushing over and over again is sim sounds simple, but is really transformative to just talk about it and be heard in a space of empathy where it doesn't necessarily have to change. It's just okay to have shame and explore it. So that's the, the kind of, um, kind of coaching space I try to create. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to discomfortable.net, which is my website. And there's also a bunch of podcast episodes you can listen to related to shame and different topics. So it's just, I'm trying to get the message about shame out there in every way that I can. And um, I hope to keep exploring it in future perhaps like a documentary or something like that, other creative outlets um, to just go and get shame on the radar as much as I can. Yes, me too. I'm really honored to be a part of spreading the message and I'm excited to share this. Thank you so much for everything that you um, shared about today. Um, I'm going to link to your website so people can check that out in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much, AJ. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and I can't wait. I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah.